Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Soccer Show Women's World Cup Daily. Colombia faced Korea and brought the heat, and now they sit in the Group H catbird seat. The Philippines were boldened by Bolden as New Zealand were anything but golden, and Norway's star player pulled out against the odds, leaving their qualification fate in the hands of the Norse gods. My name's Ryan Bailey. Joining me today, as always, Mr. Taylor Rockwell. A little smile at the reference of a Norse god. Big, big Thor fan, are you, Tay-Tay? Yeah, yeah big Thor. Uh, Odin, there were two ravens there watching that game. Neither of them was particularly pleased, so I don't know if Valhalla awaits for the Norway national team. Uh, I'm about exhausting my knowledge of uh, Norse mythology. Mm. The only thing I know about Odin's Raven is that uh, Ron Burgundy exclaimed it frequently. <laughs> that's about it. <laughs> that's all you need to know right there. That's, I think so. That's what I think the, the, uh, the Vikings were going for uh, thousands of years ago or a thousand years ago. It's just hopefully one day Ron Burgundy quotes us in a movie. And that's and exactly how that went down. He did indeed. Graham Rothman, how are you today, good, my, my good man? I am good, Ryan Bailey. Uh, a little bit bummed that I'm not getting time to go to the cinema. Everyone seems to be going to the cinema. My, right? my wife went to the cinema last night on her own because I didn't have time to go because the Women's World Cup has been mm-hmm. really inconsiderate and just like running day to day and not taking a break so I can go and see uh, Barbie slash Oppenheimer. Everyone I know has seen Oppenheimer. Like all of the kids at my daughter's preschool have seen Oppenheimer. I don't mm-hmm. understand how everyone has time to go see this film, but the whole world has, except for maybe the four of us. Three of us. Ryan has too. I forget. I, I went in the evening on a Sunday when there weren't games. Ah, that'll do it. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's all I got to say about that. That's a Joe Lowry joining us. Hello, Joe. Hello. First of all, Ryan, good on you for using catbird seat in your intro. That made me Thank happy. You. For folks that couldn't see, I, I sort of pumped my fists in the air. You did. Also, do are people taking their preschoolers to see Oppenheimer? Is that Taylor? Is that something that's actually been happening? Yeah, totally age appropriate. You didn't know it's like yeah, it's a regular thing. They're taking school buses oh, there. Oh, it's yeah. it's like the uh, it's the Blues Clues sort of sequel. That's right. I, for, I forgot about that. <laughs> that's yes. right. That's right. That's that's troubling, is what it is. It's troubling. Apparently, more age appropriate than the postmodern take on feminism is Barbie, Joe. Which apparently my six year old can't go and see. Who knew? Hmm. That one kind of feels like it's yes, in your hands yes, she more can. than any more yes, than anybody can. else's hands. Oh, yes, she only can. some news outlets yes. are saying <laughs> yeah. it's not appropriate. I'm not, I'm not allowing that to be said on this show. No, it's <laughs> you a, can it's, go see Barbie. It's got a 12 rating. Like, I'm not sure I should do that. <laughs> I mean, that is true. I, I think I, I've heard people complaining about like taking their eight year old to see it, and like, yeah, you're not supposed to do that. That's yeah. that's how these things work. 
fewer sex scenes than Oppenheimer, which is the thing that's preventing me from going to see Oppenheimer with my dad. <laughs> I read that there's <laughs> a Rolling Stone article. We have to talk about that Oppenheimer sex scene. I went, well, I'm not going to see that film with my dad. That's uh, very awkward Graham, when you have to watch those things with your parents. As is parental law, if you don't see it in theaters with your father, then your father will walk into the room while that nude scene is happening when you <laughs> yeah. watch it at home. So it's really your choice when you want that awkward moment to take place. Yes. Yeah. To be fair, that was my fault for only watching the nude, the nude <laughs> yes, scenes from the yes. films that I watch. Yeah. yeah. I just got like a compilation tape. Graham, I will instantly end this conversation by uh, telling you that when I was, I believe, 18 or 19, my parents put a movie on and I stayed for the whole time of the movie. It was Boogie Nights. And my life has never been the same again. Never been the same again. Yeah, not ideal. I have so many jokes I want to make here, but I don't know if I want to start us off on that note. I think they thought it was about disco, Taylor, when Ah. they put it on. That's what I think. Anyway, it wasn't. And which one of them remains a bigger Mark Wahlberg fan nowadays? Uh, me. Oh, okay. (laughs) I like Wahlbergers. Is that Donnie or is that Mark? I'm not even sure. Of course you like Wahlbergers. (laughs) (laughs) Let's get to the soccer, shall we? By the way, Women's World Cup um, in Australia and New Zealand will be the most attended edition of the tournament yet. More than one and a half million tickets sold. Graham, that is quite an achievement. And... even though like New Zealand's got like a fifth of the population of Australia, they're still doing very well with attendances there as well. Very, very impressive stuff in this tournament so far. Yeah, and I think the significance of that 1.5 million number is that was the total number sold for the last World Cup. And so we're only five or six days into this tournament. So that is very impressive. Some fantastic atmospheres. I meant to mention this yesterday, um, the matches that we covered yesterday, the Italy-Argentina one and the Germany-Morocco one in particular great atmospheres like Argentinian fans always bring the noise there was a lot of Colombian fans at their game today they had a good time celebrating that that very important yeah. win so it's yeah certainly a, an enjoyable aspect of this tournament so not far. not the one from yesterday but uh China's game versus Denmark that was a very very rowdy atmosphere uh, a very dominant Chinese uh fan base there was made that for more exciting viewing as did the uh, the Colombia fan base making it a party atmosphere for their game they did indeed. A party atmosphere in Sydney. Over 24,000 fans at that game, Tater. That game being Colombia 2, Korea 0. Final game of the first round of games, if you will. Uh, a penalty from Catalina Uzme uh, getting the first goal there. And some rather unfortunate goalkeeping leading to the second from Linda Caicedo of Real Madrid, no less. Taylor, what did we make of this match apart from the party atmosphere? I thought it was so fun. Not just because of the party atmosphere, but because I knew... I hadn't seen really any of Colombia, none of Colombia. I had heard about them in the preview. So to watch this game and come to understand why Myra Ramirez is a basic cheat code that you cannot defend her. You can put four people on her and she will run right through them. But then also how fun Linda Caicedo is to watch, uh, the way she goes for little flicks, for little tricks, for outside of the foot control, uh, like up by her hip. But then also... Oh, that was so take, good, that it moment. It was so good. But then taking people on, even the goal she scores, it's it's fortunate for sure it spills through the goalkeeper's hands. At the same time, did anyone else feel like that was going in no matter what like it's not it's right hit right at the goalkeeper it's the run itself it's the turn out of pressure it's the riding of the challenge it's the getting away from the defender it's the cutting inside and then the shot but as soon as she hit it it felt like oh it's going right at her and i still think this is going in and then that's exactly how that went down so i thought she was excellent and a player that i did not know much about before this game before i guess other than the preview um but then really myra ramirez is just such a physical presence uh, for colombia and still very good on the ball but how often she would 
like take on two and three players and then sometimes get, go for the shot. But oftentimes it was to pull in opposition players to then lay it off for somebody who is now wide open. And how often she had defenders collapsing on her, thereby opening up gaps all over the place, made such a difference for Colombia. Uh, Korea changed their shape in the second half. I think Colombia were kind of content to see this one out. So hmm. less exciting in the second half. But that first 45 was great. Yeah, Taylor, you mentioned Ramirez's physicality. I think that's a great thing to spotlight because she really was an impact player in this game. You got Uzme scoring the penalty. You have Caicedo scoring a goal. You know, a Very, very fortunate to score that goal, but had a lot of, of positive impact on this match. And then Ramirez up top, there was a lot of technical ability, yes, but what really stood out to me from this Colombia team, really outside of Caicedo, was how aggressive and, and physical they were. Like South Korea, to look at the other side briefly of this game, like Korea come into this match... And they are incredibly direct. They're very, very purposeful. They're playing all, almost all their goal kicks long. They don't really want to build through midfield. They're trying to play into that front three of Sun on, on one side, Cho on the other, and Lee centrally. And the idea is to be able to play forward quickly, establish possession, win the second ball, or, or win the first ball, and then go downfield after you've broken through a couple of different lines of Colombia's defensive shape. The challenge for Korea is they almost, in the, in the first half at least, they could almost never do that. Like, mm-hmm. they were losing almost all of these first balls or second balls, and every 50-50 felt like an 80-20 that was trending towards Colombia. Colombia just absolutely dominated the run of play here, and you can see that a little bit on the second goal. It's Yoon playing a, a long ball to the back, South Korea goalkeeper, like, plays long from, from a goal kick. Caicedo wins not the second ball, but the first ball, after a Korea defender just doesn't gauge the header properly. So Caicedo wins the ball almost already facing forward, goes forward, beats a player, cuts inside, and then hits that shot with the right foot from outside the box. We've already talked about that goal. Not the best strike, and, and certainly the goalkeeper could have done better in that moment. But like huh? these, all of these, all these individual battles, Colombia absolutely dominated them, and it made it really hard for Korea to gain any sort of a foothold until the second half, where I thought they were stuck in a, a bit more. I thought they won more of those battles, but down 2-0 without a lot of clear patterns or, or individual talent in the final third, the game was basically over after that Caicedo goal in the 39th minute. I just, sorry, Graham, I know you've got a point. I just wanted to ask Joe really quickly. Um, she could have done better. Could you say that she should have done better? <laughs> I mean, so, I see, think the thing it, is, th- <laughs> that's what I was going to jump in on. Joe famously doesn't see goalkeepers as people, so he can uh, use yes, of this course, of course, of course. against them. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I did take care to say could have, not should have. But if you're if you're Korea wanting to win this game, yeah, you, you probably would like her to do better there. There's no doubt about that one. Korea's performance in this in the first half was the first of three different teams that we're going to talk about sort of going with a, well, we tried plan A. I guess we better just keep trying plan A, uh, except in Korea's case, plan A was to not possess the ball, uh, give it away cheaply, and then sort of look in a daze as they had no idea how to handle the number of uh, Colombian attackers that they had to handle. Wow. Taylor Rockwell, Jeff Goldblooming, live on air on the Total Soccer Show there, very nicely. (laughs) Clever girl, Taylor, clever girl. They were so concerned with whether or not they could attack they didn't stop to think if they should attack i'll go with that one (laughs) indeed graham your thoughts on this one so i only caught the first half of this one it was on a pretty inconvenient time um, for (laughs) for me two in the morning it started at um so i i watched the first half it seems that maybe the bulk of the action happened in the first half and maybe i didn't miss that much in the second half but yeah i echo what Taylor was saying uh, at the beginning, just a hugely entertaining half, uh, largely from, from a Columbia point of view, who were just so intent on attacking every single time they got the ball. That was the thing that struck me about Linda Caicedo was just 
every time she's on the ball, first thought, attack. Like, move forward, <laughs> do something with it. And that's where the second goal comes from. I did think South Korea contributed in a, in a sense to that, to that the, the kind of overall feel of the game. It was very open at time. There were so many spaces, especially in the, in the midfield. And I do wonder how a higher caliber opponent will expose those spaces against Colombia, which is kind of what I said in my preview is they are a very entertaining wild team. But on the defensive side of the ball, they are vulnerable. South Korea not good enough to make the most of that, but another team I expect will at another point in the tournament. Um, and with that in mind, I would add, we've talked a lot about the attacking uh, player from Colombia. The one player I wanted to mention uh, very briefly was uh, Catalina Perez, the, the goalkeeper, uh, who has a save, I think it's 45 plus nine. So the ninth minute of injury, injury time in the first half. Uh, Korea have, have a, a somewhat wide open header at the back post. She gets all the way across, gets the full dive and pushes the ball wide. And it was one of those moments where you absolutely thought Korea were going to score. It seemed like it's not a, it's not a, a poorly hit header. It's low. It's what it needs to be. It's just, she gets there and makes that save. And I think if that goes a different way, it's two to one at, at, at the half. And I think the Korea can change their shape. They can make a few adjustments and maybe there's something to play for. But it felt like one of those moments of like, ah, if we can't score that, we're not going to score today. And that was such a big moment when Colombia had had been so much more aggressive and attacking and dominant in that first half. I think that also made a big difference in how the second half played out. It was just a bit of a momentum killer. Yeah, we did have US interest, of course, in this game on the ultimate ladies, the Tejuk Ninja, Casey Fair coming on in the 77th minute, just 16 years and 26 days old. New Jersey's very own Casey Fair, should we say, born and raised and on a developmental squad in New Jersey. Uh, Colin Bell, the coach before the tournament, said this wasn't a development project that she would play. He's uh, clearly stuck to his word and she has played so far in this tournament, uh, which is uh, which is great. But I mean, Joe... This Korea team, obviously, they've got Germany in this group. They've got Morocco in this group. Tough road ahead. It is. Yeah, this, like we talked about with Italy-Argentina yesterday, the days are starting to run together, but I believe that was on yesterday's show. It felt like this was sort of the swing, right, between probably, but not definitely, but probably the second and third best teams in this group. You get this game right off the bat. You don't have a lot of time to calibrate. Colombia, very clearly between their intensity and the individual skill of their players, had the edge in this game. They were the better team for all of the 90-plus minutes of this match. They snag all three points. They're level with Germany on points. They won't catch them if all if all results stay the same at this point because of goal difference, but it's going to be really, really difficult for Korea to get back into this. Not impossible, but I'll, I'll say this. Even with you know Casey Fair coming on, and that was a lot of fun, I, I don't see... Anything I didn't see anything from this game out of Korea that makes me think, okay, this team is destined for the knockout rounds. Colombia, on the other hand, very much did show that, and they have three points to show for it, which is a great sign for them. Agreed as well. Uh, if I could jump way ahead, uh, if I were making a specific prediction for Colombia and Morocco, I think a Moroccan player is getting sent off because I think they're going to struggle to handle uh, some of the way uh, Colombia attack, the way they play, especially Myra Ramirez. I bet there's a red card in that game. But I, I agree with you, Joe. Uh, this game gave me a lot of confidence for Colombia going forward. Well, Taylor, we have good form for doing VSPs on the wrong days, so we're Yay. only keeping with our well in advance as well. There we go. There we go. Uh, Colombia 2, Korea nil in this one in Group H. Germany and Colombia on the top of the group with three points. Korea and Morocco not yet off the mark. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, the co-host New Zealand. They played the Philippines, didn't go well for the co-host, went very well for the Philippines. Back shortly. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. 
Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to our Women's World Cup Daily. We go now to Wellington, where it's winter and raining most of the time we seem to be learning at this tournament and it was New Zealand nil the Philippines won Serena Bolden with a header to decide this one uh, the first debutante country to win a game at this here women's world yeah. cup uh, great stuff from the Philippines Graham yeah what a moment for them um, their first ever win at a world cup as you mentioned Ryan and in a roundabout sort of way, I think they deserved it. So New Zealand had more opportunities. The onus was on them to create and break down. And the Philippines did get a little bit fortunate in the second half with there's a very, very marginal offside call in this game for a disallowed goal where when they showed the replay of that goal, <laughs> I and I think everyone else went, yeah. oh, that's onside. That goal's going to count. It did not count. Um, the, 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 I think it was uh, Jackie Hand's head was across the, the, the line, the offside uh, line. Wilkinson, and so it was called back. Wilkinson, was it right? And um, then the um, there's, a, there's a Jackie Han chance, right? She hits the post with a, a mm-hmm. um, chance, plays the ball across the back line. She hits the post. So at times, Philippines did ride their luck. It was a bit of a back-to-the-wall job at, at, at points. But if you're asking me which of the two teams executed their game plan better, it was the Philippines. And it is a great story, as David Gass outlined in his preview before the start of the tournament. This is a program that has essentially gone around the world and recruited the best players that they could. And you could argue whether or not that is in the spirit of international soccer. But nonetheless, it's a great story when you have like Santa Clara native Serena Bolden scoring the winner. Uh, Olivia McDaniel, the goalkeeper who pulls out an astonishing save in stoppage time to give Philippines the win. She's from Laguna Beach originally. Jessica Cower is from California playing in the back line. So for me, it's one of the best stories at this World Cup. And uh, yeah, I'm pleased that they they got this win. And and it just contributes to a sense of chaos in Group A going into that final round of fixtures. I can't call which way it's going to go. I will very much speak for myself here, uh, if you'll forgive me an extended moment. Uh, I am very much enjoying this Women's World Cup, and I do think part of that is in relation to the Qatar World Cup and then everything we've been talking about with Saudi Arabia and just the feeling that more than ever on the men's side of the game, money is what matters, money is what controls everything, uh, money is what sends players where they're going to go. And on the women's side, where there is considerably less money, you can kind of see how a little bit of money makes a difference, but also how when you don't have so much money involved in the game, it opens up opportunities for for a country like the Philippines. I don't think we're ever going to see the Philippines on the men's side make it to a World Cup and win a game at the World Cup. Uh, it's fascinating. Kim McCauley was tweeting that it's fascinating that the two best young players we've seen yep. so far play for Haiti Colombia and, and Haiti. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's uh, and like Italy has a 16 year old who's impressive. So you still get some of the old world in there. Uh, but it, it just it's been a very fun tournament for 
teams I expected to get blown out winning games, teams I expected to be competitive getting blown out. Thanks a lot, Morocco. Uh, but, but along the way, there have been just like breakout names, players I didn't have any familiarity with that I'm now excited to watch more of. It's what you want in a World Cup especially in that kind of first round. And so for me, even though these games were were somewhat dull or very dull in the case of Switzerland and Norway, I still found them really in- interesting for the tactics and for the play, but also for the other stories surrounding the teams. Yeah, Taylor, I, I would agree with a lot of that as far as this World Cup. It has been an extremely entertaining and enjoyable tournament with, we talked about this, Yes, okay, now I really don't remember, maybe yesterday, maybe the day before, Grim, you brought up the point that it doesn't feel like the gap between top and bottom is as big as it's been in the past, mm-hmm. even with the expansion to 32 teams, which is very, very impressive. Now, I will say th- the sample size is too small for us to really know for sure. And we are seeing a <laughs> yeah. lot of smackdowns over in <laughs> shoot. What is the uh, what's the group with Spain? Uh, that's group C. We're seeing yeah. some real smackdowns there. And I'll, I'll talk about that more with my VSP later on. So, yes, I agree with you on a lot of that, Taylor. I will say I'm not sure I would apply much of that to this particular game in terms of the enjoyment factor or the entertainment value. This to me felt like as, as incredible as it is for the Philippines to get that win. And I know that's that's kind of the tie in there. I still don't have a lot of stock in either one of these teams to go out and do much yeah. going forward. What I will say is that doesn't really matter within the context of this game, right? New Zealand win their first match against Norway. That is an incredible moment. The Philippines, after having a goal disallowed in their first game, come in to this one and actually get their goal. And that is also an incredible moment. Like this is the stuff that makes you enjoy World Cups, even if you know this game itself, if you sort of take away who the teams are, is probably not one that a lot of us will choose to remember from this tournament. Yeah, and New Zealand were, I thought, especially poor in this game. Very predictable in what they were trying to do in possession. Bolden and, and Gouye, they were doing a very good job of blocking off the middle of the pitch when New Zealand were trying to play out from the back. And that should have forced New Zealand to go uh, wide. It certainly forced them to go long a number of times. Um, but th- when they went wide through Ali Riley down the left, they did have some joy, actually. But on the right, there was nothing really happening at all. Um, they were pushing their wingers inside. So Hassett and India Page Riley weren't really offering any width at all higher up the pitch. And against Norway, this did work pretty well. I remember uh, Betsy Hassett in particular doing a lot to find the half spaces and get into the box. But in this match, the fullbacks, with maybe the, the, the odd exception of Ali Riley on the left side on occasion... They just weren't high enough. So there was there was no width to New Zealand's play, and that was playing straight into the Philippines' hands, who were quite happy to have everything come through the middle. The space was out wide, and, and unlike the game, this was the other failing of New Zealand's um, game plan here, or their, their execution, rather. Unlike the game against Norway, they didn't appear to have the technical ability to play through the number of opposition bodies th- through the middle. So it was a very frustrating performance for, for yeah. New Zealand. Klimkova did just one final beat. She did change it at halftime, and Chance came on, and so did... Uh, who was the other one? Longo. Longo, I think. Yeah. And they moved into more of a 4-2-3-1 and there was a little bit more width from, from Chance and she played the ball for, for Hand, that, that opportunity I was talking about earlier. She plays the ball in behind for Hand to hit the post. But New Zealand, um, they still didn't get in behind as often as they surely would have liked in this yeah. game. Yeah, 39 crosses for New Zealand in this game, which is a lot of crosses for a team that, yes, dominated a lot of the run of play here. But I don't think the gap between these two teams is as wide as some of the other gaps in this competition that you would think, okay, this team's going to completely dominate play and have to pump a lot of balls in the box. The issue for New Zealand is that was their only plan of action. Like you could see this unfolding live in real time. 
There's this example in the 42nd minute where the ball comes out to Allie Riley on the left side. She's playing left back in this game. She breaks down the left wing, takes a heavy touch while trying to create space to cross. So she ends up losing the ball. The Philippines partially clear it. New Zealand win it back. They reset. They push it back to Allie Riley on that left side, who this time does create enough space to send a ball into the box. So she launches it, which is what she was always going to do, even if she hadn't lost the first time. Sends it in looking for Wilkinson at the far side of the box. Wilkinson can't get to it. And this is the yellow card moment in in that first half. Wilkinson just leaves a knee and an elbow out on Sophia Harrison. And it's an obvious yellow card. It's a really bad moment from Hannah Wilkinson in, in in that play. And you can just see how much New Zealand were relying on those moments. Frankly, they just don't have the quality to play through a block like this. Not that they didn't have chances in this game, to be clear. You know, it's unfortunate because they go down relatively early in this match. But they they probably were the better team for the remaining 65 minutes. 16 shots overall to the Philippines four, 1.7 expected goals to point uh, to 0.4, according to FB ref in this game. But a lot of that is game state as well. When the Philippines score early, they are going to sit back and be compact. That was going to be their MO pretty much either way. And they did have a lower line in this game. I harped on that a bit against Switzerland. Mm-hmm. So I did want to note that their line was, I thought, more reasonable in this match. But man, even with some of those chances from New Zealand, even with, you know, they have a, a couple of nice moments in this game where Wilkinson pops up in the box and, and maybe get a, a couple of nice chances. But by and large, it was predictable, which I think is a word that we've already used to describe this. And I, I just wasn't at all really impressed by what New Zealand brought after going down. I think I, I agree with what you all are saying. I, I would give more credit to the Philippines. I, I actually found them to be the more engaging team in this game, even with New Zealand having more uh, dominance in that second half. It felt to me, first off, I've seen the Philippines consistently listed as a 5-4-1. I did not see that. I saw them as a 4-4-2, and I saw them pressing so hard so often and really just making it difficult for New Zealand to ever have time and space. Uh, I watched this on replay, knowing the score, uh, or I recorded it knowing the score. And so for chunks of it, I, I Joe has taught me on Google Chrome how to accelerate the uh, the video. And it was wild to just see like, scrum somebody picks up the ball oh they lose the ball okay he picked oh no they lost the ball she picked that up she like it was just wild back and forth no one ever really gets any sort of control uh like for large chunks of this game and i think that was sort of like the game plan for the philippines especially once it once they're ahead but the way they never really let up i thought was so impressive Uh, and i wanted to spotlight two players uh the first would be sophia harrison the left back for new zealand who uh i i felt like was all over the place putting out fires and she has one Right after the goal is scored on the 24th, in the 26th minute, she tracks her mark all the way up uh, the pitch and then recognizes she thinks she has cover and I think is very alert to the idea that she does have cover, but if she doesn't track uh, her runner really well, it's going to be a 2v1 that player is going to be in. And she sprints back 30 yards, having sprinted out 30 yards to cover that that player in the first place and ends up sliding in, putting the ball out for a corner. But if she doesn't, I think it's a, it's, it's a very strong XG shot, put it that way. So I felt like she was representative of how much effort there was on the Philippine side in what they were doing defensively. And I think the same goes for Sarah Agsevic, a yes. player that I knew very little about once again uh, and was really, really entertaining by I think because in a game that was very physical she seemed to be the most capable of handling the physicality but then still bringing some skill to it she has the back heel in the first half but she's also the one who 
wins just the the 50-50 ball in the box and then plays a perfect cross for the goal for Bolden. Uh, So Exevic contributing in the attack, but then also having a little bit of flair, but then still doing the defensive work, still doing the the cover, still doing the pressing and hunting in packs and all that good stuff. I felt like the Philippines made New Zealand really uncomfortable uh, and sort of nullified their primary uh, attacking uh, approach and then really didn't let New Zealand find any other way back into this game. So I, I would say credit to the Philippines, even if it wasn't a particularly uh, uh, attractive game. Yeah, Taylor Egosvich, if, if that is how you say that, a player that I wasn't familiar mm. with either um, before this game, but um, she was someone that caught my eye as well. I went into the, after the game, I went into like FB ref and who scored and, and tried to find the FIFA report for this game. I'm not entirely sure where you get those actually the fifa reports i don't say fifa.com their site is an absolute mess. i got you Joe, you can i got you you can direct me to those uh, after this <laughs> but yeah i looked at some of the numbers um she only made 11 passes in the whole match so maybe we shouldn't get too <laughs> carried away um yeah. so it was one of those things where like the eye test maybe didn't quite meet up with what the numbers were telling me but i haven't watched this game in full live you know i still believe that when it mattered she produced something important for the philippines in this one graham wow. um if if it helps at all my go-to as always wikipedia i think if you go to the individual matches you will always get the fifa report link right there and you can ah, just yeah. click it right or you could yeah. check the slack that i just put it i just put the <laughs> that, show. that works too. That. saving you guys a step <laughs> We have Joe uh, finding FIFA.com uh, match reports for us, helping Taylor uh, speed up video on his browser. <laughs> I shared we, it now, too, on Slack. They're in your face, Joe. Joe. Do you feel nice. like you're at your Tech grandparents' support. house, Joe, and you're like <laughs> showing him how to switch the TV on at this point? When Taylor said that, that I that he said it very much like, oh, I had my, mm-hmm. my young nephew or whatever yeah. go and help me with my computer. Uh, I yeah. did think that at the time, yes. <laughs> Joe, can you show me how to work the Facebook, please? You yeah. got it, Graham. You got it. Anytime, buddy. <laughs> Um, Taylor, your comments on the Philippines, I, I, I heartily agree with. I thought they were very defensively impressive, particularly in the first half. You know, some decent creativity, some nice passing here and there as well. But I think in terms of narrative and the arc of this group, we've learned the most about New Zealand. I've reframed my thoughts on that opening game against Norway because now it's, now for me, it's more about Norway's... Norway bad. Than, <laughs> yeah. Than, uh, than New Zealand's triumph in that game, if that makes sense. Who do we think? I know we haven't talked about that Switzerland-Norway game. Who do we think is the best team in this group? Because <laughs> I'm really, really not sure I have an answer. I the, I think it's it, Switzerland, but this I think really the biggest takeaway is this is just a bad group, right? New yeah. Zealand were the pot one team, or is it an equally good tier. group, Joe? You don't know. True, maybe everybody's just <laughs> awesome. Um, that feels unlikely. But New it Zealand does. are the pot one team, and Norway are coming in as as pretty objectively like the most talented team on paper in this group. And they've absolutely crumbled. And other groups are having to deal with like a genuine title contender in their group. And then like a second tier, either uh, CONCACAF team or CONMEBOL team. Or I mean, like this group is just, in my opinion, it's just a really, really bad group. And Switzerland are are maybe the light that's shining a tiny bit. But even them, I mean, I, I enjoyed their game against Norway. And we can talk about that in a moment. But they absolutely have their flaws, too. Yeah. Group A standings as we speak. Switzerland on top with four points. New Zealand and the Philippines with three points. Norway on that single point. We'll get to that Switzerland-Norway game shortly. But I think the answer, Taylor, is as the, who's going to win this group. It's uh, the friends we made along the way. <laughs> it's always the answer, Ryan. Yeah, it's always I the think answer. It is. I think it is. Uh, Taylor, anything more on this game before we jump into the Swiss-Norway encounter? 
Uh, no, just that I next need Joe to get me into the Gmails. Um, I, I don't know how to do that. It won't let me in. Joe, that's where I draw the line. Sorry, yeah. that's where I draw the line. Uh, Joe's going to change the batteries in my remote controls while we take a quick break. We'll be back very shortly with Switzerland v Norway. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to our Women's World Cup Daily. We turn now to Switzerland nil, Norway nil. Ada Hedegerberg, um replaced minutes before kickoff in this game, injured in the warm-ups, the report's saying. Uh, quite a bizarre sight of her going back down the tunnel moments before kickoff in this one. Roma striker Sophie Romanhog replacing her. No starts for Graham Hansen. Was there Graham Hansen? And uh, Ingrid Engen dropped for this one as well. Uh, Graham, what did we learn here, apart from, once again, that New Zealand is very wet in winter? Yeah, we learned that Norway are still bad, and some of the decisions from uh, Hegerisa in this tournament have just straight up been weird. Um, when I saw the the lineup for this game and Caroline Grim Hansen not being in the, the starting 11, I, I thought, well, there has to be an injury there or an illness or, or something. It appears that wasn't the case, um, which was bizarre given she was the only player who caused like a consistent threat or, or posed a consistent threat in the first game. Um, and then when she came off the bench in the second half, she again picked up where she left off and looked dangerous. So she definitely, in my book, should have started this match. Even things like Guru Raitan playing again in central midfield, like the central midfield experiment for her continues with no real evidence that it's working. I think you want to... I mean, she just can't find space in central areas in the same way that she does on the wing for Chelsea. And the number of times she got crowded out was very, very frustrating to watch when you consider how good she is when she's able to front up opponents, which, in theory, you'd be able to do on the wing. Also, having uh, Maunam so deep in midfield doesn't seem ideal either. In general, I just think Norway could do with being more bullish and pushing high. And, And generally getting their best players into the positions where they are most comfortable. They're not doing that. Yeah, I I totally am with you, Graham, on the getting your players in your best spots. And also, hot take, you know, playing your best players. I'm just Mm. always in favor of playing Grams. So whenever we can make that happen, I think that's the right thing to do. What I will say is, uh, to me, watching this match, it seems like Norway push players about as high up the field as they can. Like, regardless of where Guru Wrighton is playing, whether it's technically in the half space as a midfielder or a little bit wider. Like Norway, what, what really gets me about Norway is they push everybody except for the center back and the six, uh, the center backs and the six, and maybe one or both of the fullbacks at times. But they've got everybody in their front three, and, and then the two number eight. Five players, Joe. Yeah, they've got everybody in the front three and their number eights, everybody in their attacking unit, like pushed up incredibly high. And so when they're on the ball, in this game, if it's Risa as the number six after not starting the last game, or either of the center backs, when they're on the ball, 
they can't find the threaded passes. Like it's all way too yeah. crowded for Norway. The spacing is off. Everybody's up too high. There's no real depth and, and variety in how they attack. It ends up being either super direct or really, really slow because one of the nominal number eights has to drop back to then go and support the number six. And everything is just feeling like it's mechanical and and like difficult for this Norway team that frankly has enough talent, even with a rotated side for various reasons with a couple of their attacking stars, even with that, they still created some chances in this game. Like they still outshot Switzerland. They still had some bright moments. Yeah, I think about a nice header from Sophie Hogg in the, in the 24th minute. Like there are moments in this game where Norway are threatening, but their tactical approach is like like a number of this, these teams at this competition that we've talked about is a little bit baffling to me. Mm-hmm. Once again, I'll, I'll praise the opposition here as well, uh, because I think the Swiss just made sure to always have that midfield three pretty tight together. And, and so they blocked that kind of like center third. And it, like to my viewing, it felt like Norway were overly focused on attacking through there, especially in transition. Certainly sometimes they would end up wide, but so often they're kind of trying to pass through the middle and Switzerland have numbers there. And it reminded me, uh, maybe because I just had to do this last week, of driving on uh, I-95 here on the East Coast. I'm sure it's the case on most highways where the worst thing, like stop traffic is like, all right, we're stopped. But the more annoying one is when everyone's going like 25 miles an hour and it's just like slowing down. Then you speed up and you slow down again. And that just felt very much Norway. It felt like they kept running into traffic and not in the way New Zealand did against the Philippines, where it was physical battles and, and sort of they made them work for every single pass. It just felt like there were numbers there for Switzerland and Norway would slow it down and try to navigate that. And then, Joe, to your point, it just becomes really mechanical and really slow and really deliberate and almost like a team running through training or like a new yes. cook in a kitchen learning like, is that right? OK, is that right? OK. And just every single time it felt like it took them one second, two seconds, three seconds too long to move the ball, to make the decision, to make something happen. And it just kept letting the Swiss get into the right positions, get their shape back. Yes, they have chances. It just never felt like there was going to be much coming from those. I agree with Graham, though. Caroline Graham Hansen coming on did feel like at least a spark of energy. At the same time, I then worry that we are indeed cursing this tournament. We've talked about it already with Zambia and Morocco. Uh, Graham has strong predictions for Caroline Graham Hansen, who doesn't start this I still game. Got, I still got my VSP from this one, uh, though. I'm glad, the, though. The, I'm glad. The Discord has counted it. That's fine. But uh, I'm worried, though, that having said <laughs> that this tournament has been more competitive and more engaging now, uh, if we are truly cursing this tournament, the next like round of games are all going to be 9-0, and we're going to have to revisit these uh, these comments. But but even when even when um, just to pick up on Graham Hansen coming off the bench there Taylor even when she does come off the bench and yes she is better than what Norway had um, from the start in this game but there's a disconnect between what she's trying to do and the players that are on the pitch and Ada Hegerberg coming off um, in the warm up of this game it felt like Graham Hansen had been instructed to so she's a very dribbly player right which is where I I got my I'll do it myself VSP moment f- from her in this match when she beat four players and then got a powerful shot away but then other times she was hitting like very early crosses into the box which I have to believe was an instruction from Hegarisa or something that they'd worked on in training that to me is designed for Ada Hegerberg to be the number nine and not and not Sophie Hogg as as, as the number nine. She had a, a tendency to kind of drop back a little bit more, Sophie Hogg, whereas mm-hmm. Ada Hegerberg is more likely to run across the the front of the defence and get and make that run and get on the end of a cross. So even in those moments, even in the the better moments for Norway, there was a disconnect there. 
Yep. And, and even when Hog does get on the end of some crosses or does get opportunities off, Tallman in goal for the Swiss, I thought was was just reliable and consistent and made the saves you need her to make and never made it seem like, oh, maybe there's an opportunity here. Maybe there is a vulnerability. Let's keep going. There were no sort of weaknesses that could be pried open. Uh, Graham, again, I'm glad you got your prediction. But I would say a very representative moment of this game is in the 82nd, 83rd minute. Uh, Norway have a free kick. Uh, the Swiss clear and then immediately foul. And now Norway have a free kick from like 20, 25 yards out. Carolyn Graham Hansen steps up and and I thought this was going to be it. This is the moment when she's going to do it herself. She's going to put it at the back of the net. Graham is never going to stop talking about how right he was. And she chips it about 15 yards over. And, and, and that felt like, okay, that's the way this game is going. It's going to finish nil-nil at best uh, for, for this one, just because Norway, I think, even when they did have opportunities, they still looked hesitant. They still looked uncertain. Uh, the commentators broke it down well, but her body language, her body shape, the way she approaches it, that ball is always going way over the goal. And that's not what you need from your sort of like potential talismanic player with Ada Hederberg out. Uh, so I, I felt like that also was sort of a, a moment that told some tales about Norway. Yeah, Norway pretty bad in this game and, and bad at this tournament so far. And that's, no and, mm-hmm. and that's why I started with Norway in this game because we've seen two matches from them now where they've looked uninspiring and have really struggled in both of those games. I think, you know, when we talk about the issues, it, it probably does have to start with Norway rather than Switzerland. But I will say, Switzerland, I thought, did a lot of good stuff in this match. Like, the, the, the one thing that's still missing sure. is probably the most important thing, which mm-hmm. is their play in the final third. But, man, if we, if we just sort of chop that off and just talk about the aesthetics of it, I have really enjoyed the aesthetics of this Swiss team. Like, how they pass, how they move. They've been in this 4-3-3 shape in both of their games so far. The win over the Philippines and now this draw with Norway. They're in this 4-3-3. There's a lot of fluidity but there's almost always structure that goes with it, right? It's it's Bachman, it's Ramona Bachman, who plays nominally on the left wing, but in reality, she plays kind of everywhere. Like, she defends mm-hmm. on the left and will pop up on the left in attack from time to time when she feels like it. But the numbers around her, either Riesen from left back or Reutler as that left-sided central midfielder, those players compensate for Bachman's movement so well. Like, their heads are on a swivel all the time. Okay, where is Ramona Bachman? Where do I need to be as a result of that? With her movement and Cernogorsevich as that number nine, who is incredible at running and beyond the back line and finding space inside the box. She doesn't get a goal in this game, but had some bright moments. Then you talk about a player that we, we mentioned briefly, and Taylor, I know you mentioned in your preview of this Swiss team, but it's Kumba So, who's, mm-hmm. who's playing as the right-sided number eight in this 4-3-3. So there's a six and then two eights that have a lot more mobility and freedom in front of that number six. So I thought was awesome, especially early on in this game. She's the one running to the end line for a nice early moment where Switzerland have numbers in the box. I think it ends up being Cernogorsevich, or maybe it's Bachman who gets a shot that doesn't end up finding its way into the back of the net, obviously, as this one ends nil-nil. But so her movement off the ball is good, just like Reutler's was in that first game against the Philippines. And her ability on the ball is really clean as well. Like She's dicing up some through balls. She's finding her teammates in good spots. This Swiss team, with how they build, they have so much technical ability. They have good rotations. The awareness of these players is high. The movement, all this stuff, the challenge still is. As good as they were maybe in the middle third and, and even like approaching the box, it felt to me in this game, eight shots, You know, they, they didn't light anything on fire. It felt to me like they're still missing something in the final third. And I'm afraid that that's going to be what separates this Swiss team that I really enjoy watching from maybe the top eight or ten teams in this tournament, and it could make life difficult for them when when push comes to shove in the knockout rounds. 
I'm glad you mentioned that final third, Joe. I had a question actually for Taylor, because I, I think, Taylor, you previewed the Swiss, if mm-hmm. I remember correctly. So the coverage here, and maybe it's the same on, on, on Fox, uh, a lot of the focus has been on Alicia Lehman, mm-hmm. as the Swiss player who, you know, probably the highest profile player at this tournament who's not American. The 14... most followed player on Instagram, I believe, yeah. at the tournament. 14 million followers on Instagram. I looked it up. So obviously it's she all puts... because of her playing ability. Yes, sure, <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> but she makes a cameo in the first game, doesn't feature in this one at all. Yeah. So I wanted to ask, because we had a couple of substitutions from the front line, but Buckman and Poivre coming off here. Are the Swiss particularly deep in their attack? Uh, what's what's going on up there? I thought they were. It doesn't seem like they think they are. But I didn't... Yeah, I had Serena Gorsevich in my preview starting... At, like, basically, I had them being in a 4-1-3-2. And then maybe sometimes it would be Kumbaso or Reuteler, uh, like, in, instead of either Terhun or Lehman. But I had Serena Gorsevich as one of your midfielders as a sort of perennial harder, uh, moving around, finding space the way she does for Denmark, uh, and then playing forward, uh, which is what she did in the latter stages of that game. And I think that suits Serena Gorsevich because she has the engine. She was doing a good job defensively. She was getting back and covering. And when Ramona Bachman was doing Ramona Bachman things, then Serena Gorsevich would come in and do the defensive work that she needed to do. So I, I think we could see against New Zealand, maybe they'll go with uh, Alicia Lehman. Maybe they'll go with Terhun. Maybe they'll go with a combination of uh, one of those two plus Serena Gorsevich. But I wouldn't be surprised to see them in a front two. Uh, that said, they only need the draw, right? So... Maybe they try to play it out and just stay practical, but I would like to see them try to change it up and be more attacking. I feel like roll the dice and and score a goal and you put yourself in a better position. I would also add, as a final note, this is a Swiss team that I think see this World Cup as an opportunity, certainly, but also a very good opportunity to prepare for the Euros, which they will be hosting. And so I think this could be a team that we see more of as they continue to develop and get those reps together, uh, repetitions together. There you go. Uh, but um, for for now, I hope we see more attacking play. I hope we see Alicia Lehman. I wouldn't mind seeing more from uh, Tershun uh, and more from Serena Gorsevich. I think there are plenty of options there who can score goals. It's just about unlocking them or unleashing them, so to speak. Okay. Question answered. Thank you very much. Um, So as we say, Group A, Switzerland on top with four points, New Zealand and the Philippines with three, Norway with a single point. This one, the most interesting group after one round of, uh, after this many rounds of games um, in terms of the balance of play in the group. Graham, uh, who's going through? I don't know. Switzerland and uh, yeah. Yeah. Norway, <laughs> I think. Didn't we do this in the Euros? <laughs> Didn't we think that Norway would, would like, eh, it's still Norway, they'll find a way. And it does seem like they would be able to get the win and then they'd be on four points and probably find a way through. And and I also could see that being nil-nil in that final game for Norway and then they don't end up making out. I would say Switzerland and... Uh, yeah, see, I run up against it as well. Why not? Let's have it be New Zealand. Let's, let's see. Yeah, sure. New Zealand. Let's do that. Sure. <laughs> you sound so convinced. I'm not. I was going to say the Philippines, but I don't see that happening. Yeah, I, I, I'll i go Switzerland as the top team, and I, I will continue with Norway, even though they've given us so little evidence that they're actually a good team. I still think on talent, they are very clearly the, the at least a top two team in this group. And given that they still got a shot, I'll ride that talent at least one more game. And then then uh, disavow any knowledge that I ever did that. Okay. Well, I'll go Switzerland and Philippines because I don't think yeah. anyone else said that combo. There we go. Like uh, we are covered. Uh, one thing left to do on this show, my friends, and it is the very specific predictions. Who would like to go first? Joe, you look like you've got a look on your face that says, 
I'd like to go first. That you read that perfectly. That's incredible, yeah. Ryan. I think we're spending too much time together. Is what I think that I means. Um, all right, Not my enough. VSP for games coming up in the next twenty-four hours is that Spain and Japan. Spain are playing against Zambia. Japan are playing against Costa Rica. They will win their games by a combined by at least excuse me at least combined eight goals. So that means that I'm expecting like, you know, let's say a 3-0 win for Japan and a 5-0 for Spain or a 6-1 for Spain. You get the idea, right? They need to win their games together. I need, I need by more a plus eight goal differential. <laughs> um, yeah, that'll come later, Taylor, when I'm showing you how to use Gmail. We can do <laughs> thank that you, thank later Thank you, thank you, thank you. The Gmail, cool. I, I just very, very much believe at this point in the tournament with injuries to Zambia, with how dominant Spain were against Costa Rica, the fact that we just have the flip side after Japan you know, beat their way past Zambia and, and Spain dominate Costa Rica. It's just the reverse options now. I I very, very much believe that those two teams are not only two, the two best teams in the group, but two of the best teams in this competition at this point. I think there are going to be some blowout games in that group coming up very shortly. That's my favorite VSP so far because mm-hmm. it promises goals, goals, goals. I like yep. it very much, Joe. Yep. Thank you very much indeed. Graham, where did you land? So my VSB promises crosses, crosses, crosses. I'm also going to Spain, Zambia, um, and I am going to predict that Spain will attempt at least 44 crosses in that game. The significance of that number being that if they hit 44, they they will have combined over the two matches so they've played so far for 100 crosses, um, which is quite a lot of crosses to have played in two matches. They're going to have lots of the ball in this one, and that means lots of crosses for them. Maybe not as many as they had against Costa Rica, but yeah, my VSP is that Spain will be a ton up for crosses after this match. Oh boy. Was it David Moyes' Man United who famously put in yeah. a billion crosses per game? And it was yeah, a bad like 80 thing then, crosses. Right? Yeah, 80, 80 crosses a match. He also said about his minority team that they needed to improve in the defensive side, the attacking side, on the ball, and on the wings. Mm. <laughs> Famously, it's one of my favorite Moyes quotes. Yeah. It's complete. <laughs> so everything. There we go. T Rock, what, what are you doing with your VSP? <laughs> um, I will remind people that I made. Uh, a way too far ahead prediction uh, on yesterday's show. I predicted uh, in Canada, Ireland, that Jesse Fleming uh, would get a goal or an assist. So I, I remain uh, hopeful that will happen. Uh, and then for today, uh, my very specific prediction is that against Costa Rica, Japan will be caught offside five or fewer times. Uh, for reference, they were caught offside nine times versus Zambia. Uh, but I think Costa Rica maybe will be slightly deeper uh, in this game than Zambia were and, and maybe keeping that line a little bit tighter than Zambia did. Um, I also think that with uh, Japan likely to get some early goals or potentially getting early goals, getting a lead, I could see them with a game still to play in this group against a a very good uh, Spain team. I could see them resting some players, taking their foot off the gas a little bit, maybe being less driven in their attacking play. So I I think they're not going to be making those runs in behind as often as readily. uh, And I think they're also going to have less space to run into. So I think fewer offsides five or fewer times uh, in this game. I'm looking forward to whatever you throw at the TV when that offside flag goes up for the sixth time. That is partially why I made this prediction is because I I do love getting to root for random things. Like I think one year I predicted the number of corner kicks and then really cared about corner kicks. Similarly, I'm really excited for Spain to be up 7-0 on Zambia and it to be 0-0 in Japan, Costa Rica and Joe just like, come on! I'm going to cry if that happens. (laughs) I don't know know how the order of games goes actually, but I do hope Joe is... Or, or vice versa, like both teams are blowing the, the other out and, and Joe is just sitting there screaming for one more goal uh, into, I guess, his screen, I'm going to guess, late at night in Arizona. 
That was me with Caroline for Brazil. <laughs> just one more dribble, please. Just do it. Just for just a flourish and stop, stoppage time. It doesn't even need to mean anything. <laughs> T- Taylor, it sounds to me like you do all the stressful parts of gambling without placing any money, um, from what I can tell. Which yeah. is probably the right way to go, frankly. Yeah. I think that, yeah. that might be the Maybe. move. Maybe so. Maybe <laughs> so. Maybe you got it right. <laughs> uh, my VSP for this next uh, round of games, I'm going Japan, Costa Rica. I am looking at Daniela Solera of Costa Rican goalkeeping fame. I think she will make six or more saves against Spain. Uh, she made 10 saves from 46 shots. Uh, Japan had 25 shots against Zambia. She forced five saves from uh, forced five saves from the Zambia keeper there. I think Japan is going to keep um, her busy in this one. So six or more saves for Soleda in this game. Alrighty, I think we have World Cup daily, everybody. Graham Ruthven, thank you very much for your contribs. Thank you, Ryan Bailey. Joe Lowry, thank you very much, sir. Yeah, when do my business cards that say TSS Tech Support come in? I don't know if, Taylor, did you get those ordered yet, or does that happen later? Uh, I need you to help me figure out how to order them. The form is a little complicated, so whenever you have a chance. Can you download the app that orders them, please, Joe? Well played. Well played. That was good. This was fun, guys. Thanks. I I downloaded the forms from a Russian site, and now I'm just, my my screen is blue. I don't know. No, that's right. That's what happens. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Cool, cool, cool. They said they need my social security and mother's maiden name. Well, they don't already have it? Yeah, you got to get that to them. Oh, dear. Taylor Rockwell, thank you very much for your contribution, sir. You are welcome, my friend. Uh, duh. <laughs> and listener, thank you very much for joining us on this one. We'll be back as we usually are during this World Cup with the World Cup Daily tomorrow. But for now, bye! As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.